Thanks for listening to the Sub 25 podcast. Sub 25 is a ministry of Gardendale First Baptist Church for 18 to 25 year olds. Tune in as we learn how to live as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bible, open up to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, that is where we're going to be. And as you find Romans chapter 12, it's hard for me to believe that I have been married for uh, uh, about seven and a half years. It's crazy. My wife is, is somewhere around here. She's with our, our youngest son, Haddon. And it's so crazy for me to think that I've, been, that I've been married for over seven years. I absolutely love my wife, Angela. Many of you know her. If you haven't met her, meet her. I love her. She, she's so kind and compassionate and caring. She encourages me. I could not do what I do. Uh, without her love and support. And so it, it's so crazy just for me to think about what God has taken us through and the fact that we've been married for so long. Well, one of the things that God has allowed us to do uh, is we have the opportunity, uh, the opportunity of meeting with couples that are engaged and we do some pre-marital counseling. We, we met with a couple a couple of weeks ago. We're meeting with another couple uh, this week and, and we like to have fun with this. We, we bring folks over to our house and we ask some questions. We like for it to be discussion oriented. And, and, and some of the questions that we ask, we ask, ask them because we want these couples to begin to think about how they're going to do life together. And so uh, one, of the, one of the areas that, that we ask is related to the roles and, and the chores and the jobs that have to be done in the house. And so what we tell these couples is, okay, you take a piece of paper and you take a piece of paper. Don't look at each other's answers. You're going to write down the answer. And we start asking questions like this, like, who's going to clean the toilet? Or we say, who is going to vacuum? Uh, we say, who's going to wash clothes? Who's going to wash dish- dishes? Who's going to make sure that the cars are clean? Who's going to make sure the yard looks good? And we don't let them look at each other's, each, each other's answers. They have to write it down. And then we say, all right, what'd you put on there? And it's always funny because, you know, it, there's a little bit of nervousness when, when they look at each other because you're hoping that you say the right answer. But, but the reason we do that is because for, for a couple that's about to get married, a lot of times there's some assumptions that they have about how things are going to get done in the house. But those assumptions are different. And so what we're trying to do is help them get on the same page, because as a couple, when you enter into a relationship, it's good to know, hey, we're going to divide and conquer. Angela's going to take this. I'm going to take that. At times, she's going to need help, so I'll jump in and help her. At times, I'm going to need help, so she'll jump in and help me. But, but if we kind of have our areas, then we can make sure everything is done so that the house stays intact, because here's what happens. And this has probably happened to people that you know that have gotten married. Maybe it even happened to your parents or your grandparents when they got married. Is that one person thought that the other person was going to do something. And so a day goes by, a week goes by, a month goes by, and they're looking at each other saying, I thought you were going to do that. The other one says, I thought you were going to do that. And see, they were on different pages. And so because of that, something that should have gotten done did not get done. Now, here, now, here's why I even bring this up. Because the church is the same way. You see, in a marriage relationship, both parties, the, each spouse is called to serve. If only one person is doing everything, it's not going to work out. Both parties are called to serve. And both parties are probably going to serve in different areas based on their abilities, 
maybe based on their passions, maybe what they're good at. My wife is very good at the details. And so some of the details of our life, she manages those. The calendar, the the Terry calendar, she manages that. But then there's other things, maybe some big decisions, things, uh, definitely things like the yard or, hey, if we're going to buy a new car, researching, trying to figure out, trying to get the best deal, I'm probably going to take the lead on that. Here's the thing. If you're a part of the family, God's family, understand this, you're called to have a role. It's the same way in a marriage relationship. You're you're called to serve. You have a role and and, and you live out your role. And because of that, the family grows. It's healthy. It's the same way in the church. And so tonight, that's what we're going to look at. Here's our target statement. Once you enter the family, once you enter the family, serve like Jesus. See, we just talked about uh, the, the father running to the father. Once you run to the father and you embrace forgiveness and love and you enter into a relationship through Jesus Christ, you are in the family. And let me just say, I don't care where you've been this year, last year. I don't care what you've done yesterday, earlier today. God is inviting you into his family. That's available to you. Again, you may look at your life and you may say, man, there's a lot of things that should not be in it. That's okay. Because we see that Jesus all throughout the New Testament, he invites people into a relationship with him that everybody else said, we don't want to have anything to do with you. And so understand that God is inviting you into the family. But once you enter into that family, tonight we're going to see that we are called to serve like Jesus. So let's look at our text, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3. I'm going to read six verses, and then we'll unpack this. Starting in verse 3, this is Paul writing to believers, people that have been changed by Jesus. He says, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. As God hath dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. If you would, just bow your head with me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we think through this, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. And I pray that we would walk away having heard from you, that we would walk away changed. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now tonight, I want us to see three steps that we should take if we're going to serve like Jesus. If we want to serve like Jesus, and again, this is really for those in the family, those who have experienced a relationship with Jesus Christ, they've experienced his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. Once you've entered the family, if we were going to serve like Jesus, step one, we have to pursue Christ-like humility. Christ-like humility. Look at what Paul said in verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who's among you, not to think of himself more highly, proudfully, than he ought to think, but to think soberly or humbly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. 
Don't miss this. Those that are in God's family are called to think a particular way. And listen, those that are, those that are Christians, if you've decided to, to trust in Jesus Christ, and, and honestly, even if you're trying to figure things out, your mind is a battlefield. That's what we see throughout the New Testament, that your mind is a war zone. And what Paul says here is that we're supposed to think a particular way. And this is why we would say we've got to be careful what we allow into our eyes and into our ears because that enters into our mind and into, and into our heart. And we understand that our mind and our heart is a war zone. It is a battlefield. Some of you today, there have been some very heavy, deep, dark things that have crossed through your mind. Things that you're battling with. Things that you're struggling with. It's, it's, it's a war zone. And so again, Paul is saying, hey, if, you, if, if you're going to serve like Jesus, you have to think a particular way. And listen, our, our society is plagued with all sorts of false ideas. And we see this all around us. And these false ideas, we, we see them on social media, we see them on TV, we see them on TV shows, in movies, and if we're not careful, those false ideas will enter our mind and we'll begin to look at things with a wrong perspective. We'll look at our relationships with a false idea. We'll look at our job with a false idea. We'll, we'll look at school with a false idea. We'll look at success with a false idea. We'll look at ourself with a false idea. And it's all because we've allowed what the world has to say, it's entered into our mind. And this is why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's verse 2, right before this. So understand, Paul is saying, listen, your mind is an important part of the Christian life. Now let's just pause right here. Some of us in the room, we may be really struggling with the things of Christianity because of what the world is saying about intelligence in Christianity. I don't know if you've ever heard somebody say that, well, intelligent people aren't Christians. You ever heard that? Again, I, I, I've read quite a bit, and, and I've found that there are some extremely intelligent people that are believers. And, and, and what we see in Scripture is that we're actually called to use our mind we're not to mindlessly go about things. We're to think through things. And I'll just say this. If you really struggle with that, there's a lot of resources that I'd love to encourage you to read. There's books by a guy named Timothy Keller, Tim Keller. And if you're somebody that, man, you just love academics and science and you're struggling with what the Bible says, look up Tim Keller and look at some of his books. C.S. Lewis, you may have heard C.S. Lewis, Deep Christian Thinker. Again, I would encourage you to read some of his stuff and, and allow God to speak to your mind with some of the things that these guys have struggled with and be able to speak into that. But Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we're to allow God to renew our minds. And then again, in verse 3, he says that we, with our mind, are to think soberly. We're to have a, a humble mindset about us. See, don't miss this. Serving Jesus doesn't start with our hands. Doesn't start with our hands. Starts with our head. Starts with a mindset of humility. And if we want to back up even further, we could say it starts with the heart, a heart change. Romans chapter 1 through 11. That's what we see that God allows you and I to have a heart exchange. We just got done singing about it. That when we experience His grace, His mercy, when we run to Him, we get to trade in an old, dirty heart and He gives us a new one. We get to experience that. 
but we're called to apply our mind. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, Paul writes this about Jesus. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He lowered himself, taken on the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of, de- of death, even the death of the cross. See, if we want to serve like Jesus, it starts with having a, a, a humble mind, Christ-like humility. And, and don't miss this. Humility is not a sign of weakness. I would say it's a sign of strength. Sometimes our world would say that, hey, if you, wanna, if you want people to know how great you are and the kind of leader that you can be, then man, you need to let people know that. But what we see is that some of the greatest leaders that have ever existed, some that weren't even Christians, some of the greatest leaders, they were, they were humble leaders. And we see that there's a biblical principle here that we would be, that, that we would be humble. I, I love this quote. You've probably heard it. If serving is beneath you, then leading is beyond you. If serving is beneath you, then leading is beyond you. Some of us in the room, we want to be leaders. We want people to know us. We want to lead people. Well, what Jesus says is serve. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 27 and 28. Jesus says, and whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave or your servant. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. If we want to serve like Jesus, we've got to take on a Christ-like humility. There's a man in our church. His name is Max. Now, some of you, you may know Max. Um, Max is the guy that he bought a truck, a very expensive truck, so that he can carry a lot of heavy things so that he can go do disaster relief. He also bought this truck so that if there are needs in the church and somebody needs help transporting something, he has the truck for it. He's also the guy that bought a 30-foot trailer, not for himself, but to be able to help the church, to be able to help people. Let me tell you something else about Max. So we had our Christmas program. Um, It was kind of, I think it was the second weekend of December. It was Friday night. Saturday night and Sunday night. There was a lot of hours. There was a lot of uh, time of, of preparation. Well, Max was in this program, and so he had to get there early. Uh, and, and this program had a little bit of acting. It had a lot of music. And so he had a lot of different parts. He was in the kids' part as King Herod. And then when the actual thing started, he had all kind of different roles. And, and, and the Christmas pageant, it, it went great. Well, here's the thing. When it's over, everybody's tired. Everybody's hungry. Everybody's wanting to go home. And so me and Angela and, and both of our kids, uh, we were all in the program, and, and we're walking with our family out to the car. We're ready to get home. We're ready to get something to eat. And I see somebody directing traffic. Guess who it was? It was Max. So, so Max got here early, is in the program for three nights in a row. He's, he's serving like crazy, and he's out here directing traffic. So he's one of the last guys to leave. When I think about that, I think about Christ-like humility. And I took a picture of him. I should have brought it with me. It's on my phone. Because I was like, I need to remember that. And, and there are people that need to see a picture of that. that. That here's a guy who says something needs to be done. 
There's a job that needs to be done. He's capable of doing it, so he says, I'll do it. It's going to cost him some time, cost him some energy, might be a little hungry, dinner might be a little bit later, but he's going to do that. And I love that about Max. And some of you, you may know him and you know exactly what I'm talking about. So if you want to serve like Jesus, pursue Christ like humility. Number two, step two, recognize your God-given ability. Recognize your God-given ability. Look at verses four through six. Paul says, for as we have many members in one body, think about your body. There's a lot of different parts. You got fingers, arms, eyes, nose, ears. Me and Hudson, by the way, Hudson, so he's 22 months. Um, a lot of times, again, he, he's, he's learning all kinds of new things. And so, so he'll say eyes, eyes, and he'll point to somebody's eyes, ears, ears, he'll point to ears, all kind of different body parts. This is what Paul's saying. Think about a body. There's a lot in it. And those of you in anatomy or in some kind of health-related sciences, you know a way more about the body than I do. I'm, I'm sticking with like fingers and arms and elbows. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members, don't, don't miss this, but all the members do not have the same function. Now, what he did not say is that some have a function and some don't have a function. What he said is not everybody has the same function. As if to say everybody has a function, it's just peoples are different. Verse five, so we being many are one body in Christ, one family, if you will, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts, so he's talking to believers, you're in the family, you have a gift, and then he goes on to say, these gifts are different, differing according to the grace that is given to us. Now let's pause right there. So again, in verse four, Paul alludes to the fact that you have a function. You have a gift. You have a God-given ability. Again, we understand what Paul is saying here. He is saying, I believe that if he was standing right here, he would be saying, you have a gift. If you are in Christ, if you've been rescued, if you've been redeemed, if you've been forgiven, God has given you a gift. He's given you a role. He's given you a function. And it's different than the function that somebody else has that's sitting right next to you. It's not the same. It's different. It looks different. Some of us, we would get jealous because of somebody else's gift, and we don't even realize God has given me a gift specifically for me to be used for him, for his glory. And this is not the only time we see Paul talking about gifts that God gives to his children. Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, Paul writes, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body. God has given you a gift, but the gift is not for you. God has given you a gift, but the gift is to be used for others' benefit. God has given you a gift so that you could use that gift in the body of Christ to, be, to, to help others, to edify others, to bring glory to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. Hang tight. This is a long passage. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. So again, if we were to go around the room and if we were to say, hey, God has given you this gift, we would see that there are all kinds of gifts, all kinds of gifts. And God has given you that gift, but it's the same spirit in you. 
If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, then you have God's spirit in you. It's the same spirit that I have, which brings us together. That's where we get this body mentality. Verse 5, there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all and in all. Don't miss this, verse 7. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So the gift has been given to you. You have a gift, but it's for the profit of everybody else. And so if you're in the family, if you've gone from death to life because of Jesus Christ, because you recognize that that you are sinful, you've experienced salvation, understand you have a God-given gift. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, "I, I don't know if I have a gift. If you're a believer, you do. You may have multiple of them. Just because you don't know what it is doesn't mean that you don't have one. As we walk with the Lord, as we talk with other believers, as we talk to mentors and and others that are in our life, other people can speak into us. This may have happened to you before where somebody has made a comment to you and they said, you know what? I don't know if anybody's ever told you this, but you are really good at blank. For instance, some of you are really, really good at having a conversation with anybody. Raise your hand if that's you. Raise your hand if that's you. To where you could just talk to anybody. I I see those hands. And I would say this, that is a gift that God has given you. Now, how many of you would just be honest and say, I I struggle with those kind of conversations. Like, it's hard. That's okay. God has made us differently. But sometimes, sometimes what we have to do is we have to invite people into our life and say, I need you to help me figure out how God has gifted me. There are leaders in the back that would love to sit down with you over coffee or a meal or hang out and say, hey, let's talk about what God's doing in your life and let's figure out how he has wired you for his glory. Again, God has given you a gift. You may not realize it, but you have it. The other thing is this. Sometimes we don't understand what gifts we have until we just start serving. Some of us, we may be over here waiting because we don't know what gift God has given us and so we don't do anything But in reality, just start walking. When God gives you an opportunity, start taking that opportunity and see, hey, is is this something that God has gifted me to do? And the only way that we find out is if we do it. Some of you are amazing at sharing the gospel with people, but you've never tried and so you don't realize that you have that gift. Some of us, fear has kept us from doing that. Fear has kept us from talking to somebody about Jesus, but God has supernaturally wired you to where you are really good at doing that. See, some of you in this room potentially could be the greatest preachers that have ever preached before, but until you take a step of faith and say, Lord, is this an area that you've gifted me with? Some of you, behind the scenes workers, you can work with your hands and you can make all kinds, of, all kinds of crazy things. We see in the Old Testament where God supernaturally gifted people to work on the tabernacle and on the temple. Amazing passage. Some of you, and he's not gifted me, some of you, he has gifted you to work with your hands to make things. You're really good with your hands, putting things together, taking them apart. I can take them apart. Putting them together is a different story. Again, don't miss this. You have a God-given ability. You just got to figure out what it is. Prayer, scripture reading, getting in the body, talking with other people. That's how you figure it out. Um, Anybody have a favorite TV show? Just name it. 
What's your favorite TV show? Good, good. All right, Parks and Rec, Parks and Rec. Anybody like Parks and Rec? The Office? Uh, what else? Somebody else watch something? Grey's Anatomy? We got all kinds of shows. Anybody, anybody on the Netflix thing, like you're a Netflixer? Anybody, uh, Disney Plus people? Anybody Disney Plus? Mandalorian? Mandalorian? Yeah? Loved that. Okay, well, let me, here's the thing. Having two kids under the age of two, some of our TV watching world is in a whole different arena. And let me just name a few of those shows. Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. I didn't hear anybody say Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. You know? Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Uh, Puppy Dog Pals. Uh, Paw Patrol. Again, maybe you've heard of these things. Uh, uh, Hudson has, has a little book, and it has buttons, and you can click it. And it makes all these noise. And it is a Paw Patrol book. All right? It's a Paw Patrol book. Now, just hang tight with me. So, I don't know if you're familiar with the Paw Patrol, but here's what the Paw Patrol is. It's a group of puppies, and they all have a special skill set. Some of them are really good at rescuing things or people from water. Some of them are really good at picking up heavy things. They go on these rescue missions, and depending on the puppy, depends on who leads out and gets it accomplished. But they all work together for the same goal. See where I'm going here? See where I'm going? You you have a specialty. You have an ability, a God-given ability, and God wants you to use it because he wired you that way. And the way he wired you, he didn't wire me. So I can't do what you're supposed to do. But, and if I try, it may get done, but it may look really, really bad. Uh, there's a joke on our staff because it was, it was my turn to feed this group of men. And they said, hey, can you provide the refreshments? Like, I got you covered. So about two hours before, I go to Walmart and I buy a bunch of stuff and I just lay it out on a table and I just open it up. I'm like, I did it. And they make fun of me because I didn't, I didn't make it look pretty. And I, I will never live it down. But some of you, you have the ability to take cookies out of a container and make them look really nice on a table. I can't do that. I just leave them in the box and people don't eat them. But you take them out, make them look nice, and they all get eaten. You've been wired differently than I have. You have a God-given gift. Step number three. So the last step that we need to take if we're going to serve like Jesus is we need to demonstrate kingdom-minded availability. Now, this is crucial. This is absolutely crucial. Kingdom-minded availability. Look at verses six through eight. Paul says, having then gifts. We've already said you have a gift. All right, we've already talked about a humble mindset, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them, use the gifts. If prophecy, let us prophesy. So he's saying, okay, you have the gift, use it. He goes on to say he, uh, excuse me, or, or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. Let me just pause right here. Some of you are amazing at encouraging people. And some of you are terrible at that. Am I right? Again, this idea of exhortation falls into that category. And you might have thought, I didn't know encouraging was an actual gift that God may have given me. Yes, yes. Some of you are some of the best encouragers. And again, until you take that step and encourage people, the gift doesn't get used. 
He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. Some of you will give the shirt off your back. If you have $2, you'll figure a way to give three. That is just a gift that you have. And then some of you, you're always asking people to pay for your meal and if you could have a dollar. Again, it's, it, we're wired differently. Some of you, you go to a restaurant and you're like, I'm going to wait and see what everybody else orders. And if they have a little bit extra, I'm going to take some of theirs. Again, I had a friend like that. He was always mooching off everybody else. We're wired differently. But here's what Paul is saying. If I could paraphrase this whole thing in verses six through eight, Paul is saying this, use your gift. Use it. It's this idea of having a kingdom-minded availability where you say, okay, I'm gonna have a Christ-like humility about myself and I'm gonna recognize that God has gifted me, that I am Again, I'm special in God's eyes, yes, because I'm redeemed, I'm a part of the family, but I've been gifted so that I could bring him glory. I've been gifted so that I could bring him glory by edifying others, by encouraging others, by me doing my part so that the church could be healthy, so that it could grow. And if we get real practical and I look around this room, like my gift is not to play this red piano here. That's not my gift. Uh, my, my gift, uh, again, is not to run the soundboard in the back. I, I can move the fader up and down. That's about it. Again, there are so many things in this room. Some of you, you set up these chairs. Uh, afterwards, we're having some, uh, some tacos, some nachos. Some of that has been set up. It took people doing that, people that said, hey, I, I'll, I'll use my gift. And we could broaden that to where some of you would say, well, I, I've made time to serve God has given me multiple gifts, one of those being the gift of energy and a a strong back. And so I'm going to carry some tables and some chairs and get it set up. But what Paul is saying is use your gift. Have a kingdom perspective. Make yourself available and use the gift. But let me just step on some toes. I'm sorry here. I've got to step on some toes every now and then. If if we were honest with ourselves, some of us, have allowed our schedules to, to be so busy that we cannot make ourselves available. We've allowed so many things into our life. They're packed full. And, and you start thinking about everything that you're doing. And these may be good things, but in saying yes to all the good things, we had to say no to some great things. We've not made space so that we can make ourselves available to the Lord. And what we have to do is we have to build in that time. We have to sacrifice some. To some of us, it may be, I'm going to get up a little bit earlier. Instead of sleeping for 13 hours, I'm going to sleep for 12. Some of you that like to sleep a lot. Again, and then some of you in the room are running off of two and a half hours. And it's like, I don't know how you're surviving right now. Again, we got to make space for that. So my question to you is this. Will you make yourself available? I'll close with this story. When I was eight years old, Um, It was March 7th, 1999, 1999, I was eight years old. I prayed to receive Christ. I I understood that I was a sinner. I was raised in church. My dad was a minister. That didn't mean I was saved. My family, my mom, my dad, they pointed me to Christ, but I wasn't saved because they were saved, but I understood as a child that I needed a savior because I was sinful. And I understood the gospel message. I understood that Jesus Christ went to the cross to take my sin penalty and that by trusting in him, I could have salvation. And some of you, you have a story like that. But, but my story, it takes a slight different turn, and it's crazy how I can remember this moment. 
But there was a, 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 another big moment, moment in my life. It was later on in the year. I believe it was October. So at this point, I was, I was probably nine. And I was at a mission conference at my church. It was about a week-long mission conference. And I don't remember who the speaker was, but I remember that at one of the services that I was in, at the very end, uh, the, the, the speaker, he was probably a missionary, he gave an invitation. The invitation was not to salvation. The invitation was to simply say to God, God, I will go and do whatever you want me to do. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll, I'll make myself available. And so I can remember, even as an eight-year-old kid, I, I got out of, my, out, of, out of the pew. We were in some pews. I was on the left-hand side of the sanctuary, and I walked to the front, and there were other, people's, other people doing this as well. And as, as a little boy, and I'm not bragging at all because I could share a lot of horrible things that, 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 that I've allowed into my life, but God has graciously used um, to grow me. But as an eight-year-old boy, I remember kneeling down and saying, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I make myself available to you. And I have not lived perfectly available, but I will, I will stand right here and I'll say to you guys, I'll do whatever God wants me to do. And me and Angela have had these conversations. If God were to say we need to go somewhere else, we'll go somewhere else. Right now he has us right here. And we believe we're exactly where God would have us to be. But my challenge to you is, have you ever made that commitment? Not a commitment to salvation. Hopefully that has happened at some point in your life. If not, tonight that could happen. Tonight could be the night that you enter into the family. But has there ever been a moment in your life where you've told God, God, I want to make my life available to you. I will go wherever you want me to go. I will do whatever you want me to do. God, my life is yours. See, if we want to serve like Jesus, we have to have kingdom-minded availability. Kingdom-minded. We're not called to build our kingdoms, and I'm guilty of trying to do that. We're called to build the kingdom, the kingdom of God. So if you would bow your head. We're going to close in one, uh, one last chorus. But here's what I want to challenge you. Number one, if you are somebody that's in the room, maybe you're just checking this thing out, you're not really sure what the Bible is about, not sure what Christianity is about, I want to invite you tonight into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I would just say, hey, if that's, if that's you, nobody's looking, but if you would just say, you know what, I'm interested in a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you would just slip up your hand, nobody's going to come up, nobody's going to come to you, no, nobody's going to tap you on the shoulder. If you would just say, hey, that's me, I want a relationship with Jesus Christ, just slip up your hand. Again, not going to embarrass you. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. If right now you're thinking in your mind, man, I just don't know. I don't know if I have a relationship with Christ. Like I go to church, but I really don't know if I'm saved. Don't leave this place without talking to myself or somebody that you know that walks with Jesus and simply say, you know what? I, I need a relationship with Jesus. But, but, but then there's some of you that you have that relationship. And here's what I want to challenge you. That if you've never made a decision to make yourself fully available to God, that you would do that tonight. And that's hard. That you would write a blank check to God and you'd say, God, here's my blank check. Fill it out with whatever amount you want. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And so while I pray, I just want to encourage you to seek the Lord and ask him to speak to you exactly what you would do.